Welcome to Whitefields Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. Man, it feels so good to be washed. How many remember the day when the Lord washed you? Like, just washed you. And you felt squeaky clean. I'll never forget. I won't get into the story. My kids over here are rolling their eyes already because they heard all my stories like 20 times a week, but I was a, uh, you know, a high school bebopper, rap, I like rap, and I was into Run DMC and all these old rap guys back in the day. I'm 50, and this was like in the, you know, 80s, and I remember I had a bag of pot in my pocket, and I was about to go to Panama City Beach, Florida, and for a week, and just live it up like we did, having a great time, and my dad, who uh, I borrowed money from every once in a while, you didn't do that much because you'd hear about it, uh, you know, over and over and over, but I borrowed some money from him. He said, well, come to the church and uh, just come in and be quiet and I'll slip you a $20 and you can leave, you know. So um, I went, I snuck in there with my Beastie Boy hat on and my little necklace and, you know, and my little tricked out Volkswagen rabbit in the parking lot, you know, and uh, had a little bump going, you know, you could almost hear it in the sanctuary, some of my music in the, in the parking lot. And I always feared the Lord, but I didn't know him uh, super personally, but I had experienced him at a young age because of lots of things that had went on. But I would just say that when I went in there, my dad said, sit down a minute, wait for, wait for this guy to quit talking. And it was Perry Stone, this well-known evangelist that's out there today and it was like one of his first he had just come back from Jerusalem I think he had been like full-time ministry for like a year and he'd come to this little podunk church and and he kept preaching and kept preaching and then he had a little altar call and he asked the people 25 and under to come and all I know is I remember taking my hat off and walking down that aisle and he pointed at me and he said a bunch of stuff and I hit the ground and three hours later I woke up and I was trembling and I felt squeaky clean. And I, I, I must have weighed two tons before that moment. And I had no idea. Because when you're in the midst of something, like commercial fishing on a commercial fishing boat, and you're in the midst of all the smells, you get accustomed to it and you have no idea that the stench that's coming in and out of your nose, you have no idea, until you dock and go take a shower and come back to the boat, and then you almost vomit when you get back on the boat. But you are so were accustomed to it. And I think today we are so accustomed to sinful ways and the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life that we don't realize that we need a daily washing. And if you've lost that wonder, you've lost a lot. So daily we try to come into his presence and be washed. And what she did blessed all of us. But you can do that on your own. I'm preaching to the choir. I know you know that. But it's so important to wash. Amen? I took a shower this morning. And if we do that in the flesh, we ought to do that in the spirit. Because some of us can get really dirty. And that's no condemnation, it's just facts, you know, it's just facts. Anyhow, so uh, for those that were here Friday night, I, I noticed a couple people were. 
um, you're going to get round two of the same thing. But they might go a different route because the Lord always does something different. But um, I wanted to talk about learning the Lord's ways after we've been redeemed by his blood. I, I said Friday night that if you take, the, and I usually do a whiteboard and I do a bunch of drawing. It kind of helps me, some, some people that learn different like that. But for the sake of time, I, I'm not going to do that. But we're like Israelites in Egypt. Picture yourself that way. So the blood was applied to our doorpost, our faith in Christ. We had a revelation of Christ. The blood is applied to our doorpost of our temple. And then we're to eat the lamb. We read the word. We begin to worship him. That's eating of him. And then he rushes us out, and we're birthed through the waters of the Red Sea like an infant coming out of the womb. And now we're in the wilderness going... What has happened? That's how I felt that night after I got up off the ground. What do I do now? And the first thing that the children of Israel complained about and was whining about was water. They were thirsty. And like Mark said, all who are thirsty, come and drink. And the Lord begins to take that infant that's born again through the wilderness journey the wilderness of life and for those who are are more students of the word you'll find in numbers 33 there was 42 stops from egypt to the promised land and those 42 stops 42 being a numerology training and testings 42 months of the tribulation 42 chapters of job 42 stops from egypt to the promised land the Lord was dealing with their hearts in all those places, trying to get Egypt out of them. And many didn't make it because they just couldn't turn their hearts to the Lord. They wanted to go back to the ways that they had become accustomed to. And isn't that true of us today? We so want to run back to our old ways because we just kind of like them. And the job of a Christian is to set your mind and your ears and your eyes and your mouth forward and not look back. That's why I believe that he made them cross the Red Sea because you can't just go back unless he opens the Red Sea from the other end and you can go back to Egypt. He basically said you're not going back but it's up to you to take Egypt out of your heart. If a man cleanses his way, the Lord will make something noble and useful out of him. It's our job to apply the blood to every room in our house, in our temple. So, I've been talking a lot about Revelation chapter 18, verse 4. It says, come out of her... My people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. If you are in a thing, you will experience what is going on in it. If I am in a dryer, then I'm going to experience the heat and the tumbling of that dryer. 
If I am in the world system, then I'm going to experience what the world experiences. But we are to be found in Christ. Hidden. Separated from those things. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 17 says, Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. This is 2 Corinthians. This isn't Deuteronomy 12, right? This is 2 Corinthians. This is New Testament. So if you, if you see it says, touch no unclean thing, then you as a believer ought to go and do a study on what things are unclean. If he's saying come out of those things, shouldn't we know what they were? Or are? Hopefully were. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. How do we become sons and daughters of the Almighty? By separating ourselves unto him, coming out of the ways of this world system, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all those things. It says those are not of the Father. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So, have you ever thought about that? That the scripture says that we can be defiled in our flesh and our spirit. We can defile ourselves. And if you go back and study... What things bring defilement? Unclean things. So some homework for maybe some of you is to go and find out what that is. And then look at the mirror and say, am I doing these things? Because if you are, the Lord's not mad. He just wants to say, take a bath. Let me wash you. That is His will. Our sanctification. Have you ever made a list? What is the will of God? What pleases the Lord? Make a list. Check it twice. First Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. No, wait a minute. This is New Testament. This is First Peter. Peter is talking the same imagery as us being Israelites in Egypt. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotion. We are in a war. And that war is to take you out of that place of being in Christ to being in the world. Just living just like the world. We're no better than the world. We're set apart and we're purchased. And God wants to do the same with them. That's why he wants us to share why we live the way we live, which, was, which is different. You know, I can go smoke a cigar at a campfire with somebody. I can go drink a beer with somebody, a glass of wine. doesn't make me unholy. 
But if I start getting into the deeper, darker things that God has said, come out of those things, now I'm being a bad example. Because now I am playing the harlot. 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness? What does it have with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Even the Lord in creation, which if we didn't have the scriptures and we just looked at creation, we would see that God has a daytime and God has a dark time. There's light, there's darkness. And every seed-bearing tree produces after its own kind. If you are now the seed of Christ Jesus, what fruit should be produced in your life? If the world system is producing black oranges or purple bananas, and you are an apple tree from the Lord, what should you be producing? An apple tree should be producing apples. Not out of works, out of relationship. You're in a relationship with Him, so automatically fruit is being produced. Because you're in the vine. Like I say, I know you know these things. But it's the fundamentals. Just like in baseball. I've used this analogy forever. You know, if a guy's throwing 100 miles an hour, you want to get up in the batter's box so you can... Or get back in the batter's box so you have another split second to swing. If he's throwing a curveball, you want to get up in the batter's box so you can hit it before it curves. And you can see the rotation on the ball, who, those who have a good eye. In the spiritual life, every day you should be judging, what's coming at me? I need to position myself as a warrior to know how to deal with this thing. So... If we're temples, we ought to be a temple that has nothing else in it but the Lord. So, if real quick, I sent uh, my co-workers here in the back a couple of pictures. And I just want to show a couple of pictures of these temples that you can find in Cambodia and India, they're, they're scattered all over the world. And they're, they're temples, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Angkor Wat, um, and I know lots of people don't follow these things, but I'm a real curious guy. I'm always searching and trying to learn, and whenever they can get that up, and it's not that big a deal, but these temples today, with our technology we can't reproduce these things. Because humankind did not make these things. And if you go and study it, you'll begin to find out who they were worshiping in these temples. Shiva, Vishnu, Brahma, Osiris, Horus, and we could go on and on and on. All these quote-unquote mythological characters aren't mythological at all. There truly are fallen angels who created families on the earth, half human, half angelic, and they created disorder, according to Jude and 1 Peter and the book of Enoch. And you'll find that that's why God said, wipe out this whole group of people, because they were hybrids. And that's a long story, and we can get into all that. 
But, and if you can't get those pictures, it's not, it's not the big deal. But what I wanted to show you is that on the walls of these temples are all these different deities that they were worshiping. So you would stroll through these temples and they would, you would stop in front of like one of the faces. So this is Angkor Wat. And the guy over here, the guy's name is Praveen Mohan. I, just be careful when you watch some of his stuff. I don't believe he's a believer. And it's charge. A lot of these things are charge. You know what I mean by charge? Like they're demonically anointed, if you want to say that. But this was built. You had the four points and then the one, the big one in the middle. There's always a certain architecture to it. And this was made, and if, you were, if I were to blow it out, which I can't now, but it is huge. And these are all over. Most of them are built into mountains and things of that nature. And what they found is there's tunnel systems under them that go, they don't even know how far they go. Those who know don't divulge that information. The next slide is one with dots all over it. If you could show me that one. So if you see all these, these are all the temples, the huge ones that they know about, that have tunnel systems that connect to one another. This is the world we live in. It's like God created the earth and then he stuck his fingers in the clay and made vent systems so that the earth could breathe. And the fallen Nephilim, the Anakim, they took advantage of this and they used it for their benefits. Go to the one where the picture of the lady. So, uh, I sent them a couple of emails, so they have to click through them. But just while they're doing that, if you were to look at the intricate details of all the things that are carved and made, like this carving here, all this intricate detail, it's in materials, substrate, that we can't do that today. And if you think of this, this is a temple where worshipers go in and they'll spend as long as they can and they'll, they'll visit each deity and give homage and worship and leave food there and burn incense to it. And they actually say that they would go and stand in front of some of these deities and as they're standing there, you would have a sense of being overwhelmed and you couldn't think for a minute and you would connect with that deity. And that's how they did it. Because you, they opened up their gate, their soul, to that spirit. So that's why it's so important, the Lord says, watch what you put your eyes on. Because a man's eyes, this is connected to your hypothalamus. When you look at something, you're gaining information. And that information is then recorded in your hippocampus, in your brain. Anyhow, uh, let's do this. So I hope you get just a drop of an understanding of the reason there's temples on the earth. Those temples are not God's temples. Those temples are set apart for fallen angels to be worshipped. And let's go to that video real quick. There's a six-minute video I want you to watch to give you a little bit more of an understanding, and then maybe you'll have the 50,000-foot view of what's going on.
For most of human history, people have believed in some kind of spiritual realm that exists alongside the world as we know it. Right, and the biblical authors are no exception. Yeah, for them, the spiritual realm is a different kind of realm than ours. And to highlight that difference, the Bible refers to God's space as the sky or the heavens. Because the sky is really different from the land. It's above and beyond. And up there are shiny bodies that move around. I think of these as flaming gas balls. But when the biblical authors looked up, the stars gave them a way to talk and think about spiritual beings. In the Bible, they're called the sons of God, or the rulers and authorities, or even sometimes the divine council. So that sounds really important. What does the divine council do? Well, they're introduced in Genesis chapter 1, where they're called the host of heaven, that is, the sun, moon, and stars. And there, they're also called signs, meaning that their power and status symbolizes and points to God's power and status. Yeah, so in Genesis 1, God appoints them to rule over the day and night. Exactly. And then later in the Bible, we're told that they were celebrating God's power and creativity when he created the world. Like the cheering section of a game. Yeah, right. There are also stories in the Bible where God invites the divine council to participate in making a decision. Like when they help decide how to bring down the corrupt Israelite King Ahab, or in the book of Job, where they debate God's policy of rewarding people who do good. So they're like God's staff team. But why does God need a team? If he's powerful enough to create the whole universe, he could surely rule it without any help. Well, he doesn't need them. But apparently, the God of the Bible wants to share authority with others. Oh, right. God shares his rule with human partners on earth. And so, in the same way, there's a parallel story of God sharing his authority to rule with spiritual partners. Yes, that is, until it all falls apart in a twin rebellion. So you have humans who want to rule on earth on their own terms. So they start building their own nation using their own definitions of good and evil. Yeah, the famous story of the building of Babylon. But check this out. When biblical authors like Moses or Isaiah looked back at the origins of Babylon, they saw more than just a human rebellion, but also a spiritual rebellion. What was this spiritual rebellion? Well, there were members of the Divine Council who, like the humans, didn't want to represent God's authority anymore. They wanted to be God, and they rebelled. And so these created beings deceived humans into worshiping them instead of the Creator. And so Babylon becomes the biblical image for the combined human and spiritual rebellion. And so God scatters the people from Babylon into different nations. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says, this is when God also scattered the rebels of the divine council with them. So the nations are handed over to spiritual rulers. Yes, and this is why when the biblical prophets look out at the violent empires of their day, they see two dimensions to all the chaos and injustice. Human rebels who are being corrupted by the worship of spiritual rebels, the idol gods of money, sex, and military power. Yeah, when humans give their allegiance to these powers, it leads to a world like ours. Right, and the best example of this is the story of the Exodus, where we're told that the Egyptian genocide of the Israelites was inspired by Pharaoh and by the gods of Egypt. That's really intense. But it's not the end of the story. When God rescued the Israelites from Egypt and its gods, he invited them to become his covenant partners and learn a different way of ruling the world. And they agree to it, but in the end, they don't honor the partnership. They give their allegiance to other gods. And so this leads to their exile in Babylon, where they become slaves once again to a foreign nation and their spiritual rulers, awaiting a new exodus into freedom. And this is where the story of Jesus picks up. He said he was here to rescue the world and take it back 
from the rebels. Which rebels? The human ones or the spiritual ones? Exactly. For Jesus, it was all connected. When he marched into Jerusalem for Passover, he was announcing the ultimate exodus. He was there to confront and overcome all rebel powers and authorities, and he did it by giving up his life. So this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, triumphing over them by the cross. Yes, Jesus condemned our evil by allowing the rebels to unleash all their hate and evil on him. But then he overcame it with the power of his love and resurrection life. And then Jesus told his followers that all authority in heaven and earth now belongs to him. Yeah, the ultimate human and divine partner. This is really good news. Yeah, and it's why the apostles started inviting everyone to give their allegiance to the risen Jesus, to discover freedom and a new way to be human. Now, while Jesus gained a decisive victory over the rebel powers, he didn't destroy them. They're still around causing problems. Yes, and in fact, they are the problem. The apostles said that humanity's real enemy is never another human. Rather, it's the spiritual powers that animate our cultural idols that inspire hatred, division, and violence. Ah, so when I see people hurting other people, behind it is the divine counsel gone rogue. How do you deal with this kind of enemy? Well, the apostle Paul said we can resist by putting on the character traits of Jesus like armor, faithfulness, justice, and peace. And he said that our only weapon is the word of God. That is, the biblical story of good news that Jesus has overcome all rebels with the divine power of his life and love. That was really well done, huh? That's called the Bible Project. And you'll find in Psalms 82, it begins to talk about how the Lord begins to tell these sons of God, this is way before Israel was, was created as a nation, so he's talking about the Elohim, little g, the gods of the heavens that he created, that they have led the nations astray. Instead of leading them into righteousness in the ways of God as representatives of the heavenly family, helping the earthly family find the Lord and be righteous, they've led them astray teaching things that ought not be taught. So many things that the watchers traded with those people on the earth that were after power. Satan was cast out of heaven because of his trading. He traded one thing for another. So, without getting into, like I say, this could be a lecture, but I just wanted to say, now you understand what's going on on the earth. All the nations have been led astray, and there are principalities, powers, and dominions that are ruling the nations. And the only nation that was, quote-unquote, the Lord's was Israel. And you remember when the Father said, All right, Israel, be careful. I'm going to send a messenger, an angel before you to go with you, to be your cloud by day and your fire by night, my presence be careful to do everything he says, because my Hashem, my name is in him. And you find out that they did not. And it said in the book of Jude that Jesus slaughtered thousands of people in the Old Testament. Don't believe me? Go to the book of Jude. It's in your New Testament. So, I want you to see here 
that those temples that I was showing are the houses for those fallen angels. And they worship them. Hence, we should be missionaries that go to these places and begin to share the love of Christ and the power of God with them. Not by trying to come against those spirits, but to do exactly what it said. Be the light. Let the Lord do the work. He does the work, right? You remember uh, the goddess Diana in the book of Acts? Paul dealt with that stronghold that was in that city. But he didn't come exactly to confront her. He came to preach the gospel. And as he's preaching the gospel, they're following him around. In the spirit realm, that deity is like, who's this guy coming into my realm? This is my realm. And then you know the story. Paul rebuked her and destroyed the thing. And then all the money that was connected to that thing almost bankrupt that city. You guys awake? Everybody's quiet. Pastor, I'm sorry if I'm messing stuff up here. Just trying to tell the truth. All right, now, as temples of the Holy Spirit, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't have in your temple a table for the Lord and then a little table in the corner for this little deity that I just can't get rid of. Now, I was raised Freemason as a kid. I got delivered out of that thing. But my family was worshiping God on Sundays and Mithras and other gods during the week. And they thought nothing about, nothing about it. And I would think to say that most people, in some way, fashion, or form, are doing that today. It's in our bloodline. And that's a whole other issue. But that's why the Lord has come to dissolve all these things in our family line. This is what the Lord does. He comes to destroy our enemies and the things that are set up in us. He comes to tear down by His Spirit. That's why we give our lives to the Lord and He begins to transform us by the sanctifying work of a long life of being faithful to the Lord. And as we're faithful, the walls of Jericho come down. As we're faithful, He routes our enemies. As we're faithful and steadfast, He does the work. He just does. But the reason we don't have a lot of victory in our lives is because whether we are willingly knowing it or unwillingly knowing it, we have idols in our temples. And just when you look at those temples that we saw there, you are a temple. That's how God views you. You are a temple. So my question is, it's just like in the New Testament when Jesus would come to his father's temple. He would see things in there. And he would get irate. It was a righteous anger. And he would turn the tables over and say, go. You have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And robbers. He's jealous over us. And then we come to a time when we worship and we're just looking around and we could care less. Are we not to be worshiping with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our emotion? But yet we'll give our passions to so many other things. 
I can't wait for the Super Bowl. It's an idol, and it's coming down. And I'm not anti-football. But we worship it. We buy the clothing, and we, like, are, like get angry when our team loses. It's like, but we could care less if babies are being murdered in the womb. We do nothing about it. And this is not condemnation. I'm preaching to us. When will someone stand up and live the gospel and go to these places? These people are going to hell. And we just sit around drinking our four-shot lattes, doing our life. And we're mad because we have to wear a mask now. And I'm not fussing. I'm being a messenger because he's unhappy. And it's time for the church to wake up and become a militant army, work together and preach the gospel and don't compromise. The days are short. Some might be thinking, man, Mike, you're preaching hard. And all I can say is I'm just reading what it says. I'm just reading what we haven't heard for so long. Because it's all about skinny jeans and Tom's shoes and the perfect haircut and having tons of money coming in and having the perfect song leader to have a great experience. While these temples are going, growing by the thousands every year and the world's being corrupted and becoming more and more dark and we're just put to sleep. By a spirit of religion and political spirit that's in the church. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodly and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, to purify a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works zealous you let a guy like me get up and they brand me as a he's a zealot well shouldn't we all be you've been redeemed you've been set free the power of the enemy has been broken in your life and we just act like it's another day Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does he require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with the Lord. Now, I apologize if that was hard, but I did my job. And I live this thing as best I can. You can ask my kids. I'm not perfect. I got lots of things that God's still erasing off the walls of my temple. I am in no way, shape, or form better than anybody. But I'm telling you, we have to raise our voice, open up our gates, and start preaching the truth. This world is not going to get any better. It's going to continue to get worse and worse, and the the separation and the divide is going to get clearer and clearer, just like it is today in the political realm. I'm telling you, politics, what we think we see in the spirit realm, it's nothing 
but those principalities and authorities doing their thing, causing division after division, so that pretty soon the whole world is in the spirit of chaos, under control, a one-world government. And those who practice the work of the Lord, we will shine bright, but we will be targets for sure. And Jesus told us that. If you follow me, you will be hated of all men, and they will kill you. So that's, that is the truth. The good news is that our sins are forgiven. And when he returns, we will be like him because we will be with him. And we will rule and reign in those places that those authorities and powers who fell, we will stand now in their place, judging the angels because we not because we did anything, but because Christ in us, the hope of glory, did the work because we yielded our members to him and we said yes to him day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. The Lord says sacrifices and offerings I didn't really want. What I want is somebody to do what I've asked them to do. And that's what Jesus did. And that's why we look to him because I can't do it. I can't do it. I wake up to that tomorrow feeling good about the message I preached, and I'm being tempted by things. And if I don't wash myself and keep myself in the Word, I will go after that. And now I'm starting to carve an image in the, in the walls of my heart. That's just the truth. My God, we need to be honest with one another. So, I'll end with this. On this Valentine's Day. This is the word of the Lord. When I spend time with the Lord, everybody here I'm sure spends time with the Lord. You should spend time with the Lord because he wants to spend time with you. Just like today, you're celebrating Valentine's Day. Hopefully you're going to do something special with your bride, your loved one, your special person. How much more so the Lord on a daily basis? I just want to encourage you. Spend 10 minutes with him. And then hopefully 10 minutes will turn into 20 minutes. And then 20 minutes will turn into 40 minutes. And then pretty soon you'll be like in the Gethsemane where he goes, could you not just spend an hour with me? 60 minutes? I'm telling you, your life will change. And it is a work. But when you get to the place where it's now, I can't wait to get into his presence because I'm washed. I am comforted. I'm rebuked because he's trying to help me, not hurt me. And I'm realizing that he wants me to grow in him so I can shine. And do great exploits. So here we go. Would you be mine? Be mine, says the Lord, in everything you do. Ask me to fill the circumstances that you are encountering in your life. Call upon me now to learn my ways. For in the days shortly to come, this will bode you well. Learning to dance together in sync like two ice skaters. So you know the ice skaters that it's the man and the woman and they do this choreographed thing. And it's like, it's like their minds are in sync. This is what the Lord wants for our lives. We are like ice skaters who have given our lives to win the Olympics. We're going after the high call. 
presenting ourselves as a sacrifice to win the prize, which is Christ Jesus. He's the prize. Here's the question. Are we running the race to win, being overcomers by faith? Because listen, without faith, it is impossible to please me. Let's hear it again. Without faith, it is impossible to please me. So if I'm a temple and I'm not walking in faith, he still loves me, but I'm not really pleasing to him because I'm not really living my faith. We must, we must be a people of faith, he said. We must have no idols. And idols can be things like our habits or our interest. Not that you can't have habits and not that you can't have interest. Just don't let those habits and interests sit on the throne where he needs to be. Make sure it's in the proper order. That's it. I'm not anti-hunting and fishing and snow machining and all the things that we do as people. It's good things. But if those things are high and lifted up on the walls of our heart and they're tattooed in our minds, we have idols. When anxious thoughts take hold of me. How many have anxious thoughts from time to time? Let's be honest. We all do. I remember, my mind, I remember that you're the prince of peace. You're my place of rest. You're my escape. Father, you are my hiding place. You are my refuge. I ask the Lord this. Ask the Lord to keep you from idols. And don't have them on, the wall, on your walls, the walls of your heart, which is my temple. So if you think of the Lord, you are his possession. You're bought with his blood. What's in your temple? What's in your heart? You are a temple. You have an outer court, which is your flesh. You have a holy place, which is your mind, will, and emotion. And then you have your spirit, which is the most holy place. What is in your tabernacle? Lord, I ask you to wash my walls. If everybody would stand, we'll close with this. If you want the Lord to touch your life, just open up your heart and say things like this. And if you mean it, just repeat after me. I'll go slow. Lord, wash my walls. I give you permission. Tear down the enemy's gates. His doors and his strongholds. Seal, heal, and reveal to me your will in all things by faith to be used for honorable purposes. Sprinkle your blood. Upon my heart, my thoughts, my will, my emotion, my wellspring of life. We 
Jesus said we can do nothing until the strong man is torn down. The strong spirit men, the, the, the principalities and powers, they have to come down. And just like in Egypt's day, when Moses was sent to Egypt, the Lord began to deal with each principality and power. That's why all the plagues happened. That's why all the flies and the frogs and the gnats and all that stuff happened. Because they were worshiping these as God. And the Lord came and he tore the stronghold down. And then he wrapped all the smaller ones to the big one and cast them out. Until Pharaoh with his own mouth said, leave. God's going to do that to this earth. It's called the greater exodus. It ain't just one Egypt now. Egypt is now the entire earth. It's called Babylon, and we are to come out of Babylon. Why? Because God's going to destroy it. He's coming to vanquish his enemies once and for all, just like he did in Moses' day. And we are his people, and we are citizens of heaven, and we will say, great is our God, worthy is the Lamb. Now the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God, Christ Jesus. That is our hope. That is why we love him so much. Because he died for us. And now he has a plan for us. And it's going to be spectacular. So now, let's worship. Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website, whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.